At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What's going on and welcome into the Wednesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeky. I'm Daniel Salerson alongside my co-host Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com. The Pelicans wrapped up Summer League yesterday with a huge win over the Minnesota Timberwolves. They finished 5-0. No, they did not win the Summer League championship, but I think the New Orleans fans, they are Summer League champions. And a lot of that has to do with Trey Murphy, of course, number 17th overall pick, who played in four games, did not play yesterday. Gave him a little bit of rest, but he definitely showed out, averaging over 16 points a game for the Pelicans. Joining us to give us a little bit more of a perspective on him is associate head coach from the University of Virginia, Jason Williford, who, of course, coached Trey in his one year with Virginia. Coach, how are you today? Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you guys. Doing well. How are you? We're good. We're good. And uh, we're, we're definitely glad to have Trey Murphy on the squad. And, and coach, before we get into his college years, um, were you able to watch him in summer league? What were your initial thoughts on his, his four games with the Pelicans? Yeah, I, I watched a few, but I'm still confused as to how you go five and oh, and don't technically win summer league. That, that doesn't, that doesn't compute to me, but uh, I guess you guys know better than I do. Um, he played well. He, uh, he shot the ball. Great. Um, that's that's his strength. He can catch and shoot. But I think he showcased some of his other stuff, putting the ball on the floor, um, being able to finish. Um, he passed it well. There were some games where I, I saw he had a ton of assists. And I think his versatility, as far as defense goes, um, was 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 very noticeable uh, during those games. Yeah, we're still trying to figure out how the Pelicans are not champs at 5-0, and but that's for a different podcast. But <laughs> did any of his performance surprise you? Because, look, I don't think a lot of people really knew about Trey Murphy as far as heading into the NBA draft. Of course, the Pelicans had him very high on their chart as far as grading players. But are, are you really surprised by his performance here in Summer League? He, I mean, he put on a great show. Um, No, not surprised. I, I think, you know – I. Summer League, the NBA, the spacing, it allows guys to showcase more than college sometimes. And I, and I think, um, you know, his ability to, to shoot the ball is, is, is evident. He's extremely confident in his, in his shot. But he has, I mean, listen, I recruited him out of high school. He was 6'4", 160 pounds. I thought he was too small to play in the ACC at the time. But he always had guard skills. He could handle the ball. He passed it. And I just think um, the way the NBA game is, you know, it, it the spacing's different. And so he will showcase and, and show you more um, that he's got. And he's got a, he's got some stuff in his game. So take us back to that recruiting process, at least going from Rice and transferring for Virginia. How did that all come about? And he talked about how, you know, what caught his eye about Virginia is the defensive philosophies and the reputation for Virginia as a defensive team in the ACC. Kind of what were your interactions with him as he made the decision to transfer and play with you guys last season? Yeah, we 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 sold that. We sold come in and be the next DeAndre Hunter, quite honestly. 
that that we had uh, who's with the Hawks. And um, in order to do that, you've got to improve defensively. You've got to improve your body, get stronger. Uh, and you got to show that you can guard in multiple positions. Uh, and I think that was attractive to he and his father, his family, um, when looking at programs. And it also helped that we looked at him out of high school. I mean, with, there, there was some familiarity with us and us with them um, upon leaving Rice. And, and I think he wanted – he grew up in North Carolina, huge ACC fan, being able to be closer to home, play in the ACC. I think all of those things were attractive. But, but I mean, what's crazy is we, we honestly had to convince him to, to, to not redshirt and play because, you know, the, the focus for them was come in, redshirt, get his body right, learn how to defend and then play the following year. And, and with COVID, it allowed him the opportunity to basically play, have the year back if need be. And I, we, we thought, I thought, um, you know, the, the best teacher is being on the floor. Experience is, is, is better than sitting out. And, you know, if you showcase your game and, and you get better defensively, um, that's better than, than having a sit out year. Before we get to Jim, it just seems that what sticks out to us about his interviews is his willingness to play defense. How much, how important was that for you all in order to give him that playing time? Was him ready to learn about that side of the ball, not just worry about getting his shots up? Yeah, well, in our in our program, you you don't have a choice. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna play defense, or you're gonna be sitting over there with me uh, clapping your hands. So, um, you know. It's it's what we emphasize is what our program's built on, um, but I you know quite honestly we think it for the next level for for NBA um, there are very few guys that are going to go in and, and be all stars that are going to dominate the ball. You've got to defend, you got to play a role, you got to know your part, and I think that's what's been successful for us in getting guys to the next level. They all understand their role. And they all want to defend and know we, we teach them. They learn how to defend. One of the things that Trey mentioned was he said he knew that he had to get better defensively. So why not go to the kind of what the, what's considered to be the best defensive program in the country? You just mentioned the emphasis that you have at Virginia at that end of the floor. But I was wondering, what are some of the ways that you saw him progress and make improvements on, on defense during the season that he was there? He, he got better um, every, every day. He got uh, more discipline, um, not getting lifted uh, on shot fakes, staying down, sliding. Um, every day we work on closeout drills. He got better closing out, being able to, to get to shots and also protect his feet and, and, and catch, we call it catch the drive. Um, it, uh, you, you have no choice but to get better here. Every guy we've had gets better defensively, um, and and his willingness, um, him him wanting to to learn and and pick up the the nuances of our defense um, was a plus. Um, and you know, with his length um, and his athleticism, it was just a matter of time. And he picked it up. He got he got better as the year went on. Um, we would love to have him for one more. Um, but uh, but I'm glad he's uh, I'm glad he got picked in the first round and, and he had a great summer league. So, you know, we're excited for him. You know, for people like us who don't get a ton of time during the basketball season to watch a lot of college basketball, 
I think there were a lot of people ahead of the draft that weren't super familiar with Trey or his game. It seemed like though, as the draft got closer and closer, there was more of a buzz about him. And it seemed like if you paid attention to the, to the uh, mock drafts and to the people talking about the draft, he was a a name that his stock kind of kept rising. One of the things that we've noticed in the short period of time that he's been a Pelican, which is really basically like a month or so um, he's very impressive in interviews. It seems like he's just very mature. How much do you think his intangibles and some of the off the court stuff either helped him to develop at Virginia or, and, or helped him as far as his draft stock, like I said, just seemed like it kept rising. Yeah, I, I, I think that I think that had a lot to do um, with him moving up in, in the draft. I, um, I, by no means do I know what, what the NBA looks for. I know he's got all the measurables. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm focused on kind of what we do here, but his measurables, the way he shot it, his percentages, his efficiency rating, all of those things, um, plus the character piece. And I think the NBA has – has uh, put an emphasis on, uh, and franchises have put an emphasis on having good guys, good character in in their programs or or, or in their franchises. Um, and so I, I think all of that, I think all of that goes into why he moved up. Um, and I think that's uh, why, why he got drafted, where he got drafted. I know for us recruiting him, you know, he comes from a great family, uh, had, had, had a very good um, foundation, uh, for us recruiting him, that was that was huge. I mean, we we won't take a, a shortcut on character, um, and and you know he's he's a he's a solid kid, great kid, um, and I, I expect big things. You mentioned how I mean the just the reality of the the vast majority of the players that get drafted or guys that enter the NBA are going to be trying to fill a role. They're not going to be a guy that the team says, Hey, go out there and take 25 shots a game as a rookie. There might be one or two guys a year that have that kind of role, but everyone else is trying to figure out how, how do I best help my team win? Um, I think one of the things that attracted uh, the Pelicans to Trey Murphy and people are going to be interested to watch is how he kind of fits in with some of the other players. Obviously Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram have been recent all-stars here, but I was wondering what was his, how much of a strength was it for him in the season that he was at, at Virginia, I noticed he took the fourth most shots on the team, but he was very efficient. Uh, people have talked about how he was a 50, 40, 90 guy. So, I mean, how much of a skill is that for him to be able to just understand, okay, this is what the team needs for me to do and, and I can do it well. Yeah. I, I, we, we can't take a whole lot of credit for that. I think, uh, you know, his father was his coach uh, all throughout AAU um, and, and kind of just, taught him the right way to play. I mean, he, he plays the right way. He plays the, he's not a selfish kid. I mean, there were times we asked him to quite honestly, we need you to do a little more, shoot more mm. uh, and, and be more assertive. Um, but he played to his strengths and, and, and that's a credit to him just playing the right way. Um, I, the guys at Rice did a good job with him. Um, you know, that, that falls on, on Trey and, and his upbringing upbringing but um you know I, th- I i i think his maturity understanding that you know i, I want to fit in i play to my strengths and help the team win regardless of what it is it's not just necessarily shooting all the time um i think he just he he, he gets it he he understands that's that's how you win and and, and become successful on the court 
You mentioned that even during summer league in the four games that he played, it seemed like he showed some different aspects of his game. People talk a lot about his shooting, obviously in his defense. I, I read a ton of draft pre-draft stuff where they said he was a three and D guy. Um, but I, I noticed, um, and I think you referenced this as well. He had a game where he had seven assists and he, he showed ball handling too. Sometimes he was bringing the ball up the floor and kind of going behind his back in traffic. It, it seemed like there were things that he did in summer league that weren't a part of anything that I read as far as what his, some of his strengths were. So I was wondering if you could kind of describe, were there certain things that he, that you saw beyond what people talk about that he had worked on a lot while he was at Virginia or, or that you saw that he was developing and getting better at, including the passing and the, the, the ball handling. Yeah, I think he had that foundation. Again, I, I, I think um, being a, a guard all of his life, quite honestly, I know he's 6'9 now, but he, he, he was a smaller kid, played the guard position throughout high school, throughout AAU. Um, and those skills, they don't go anywhere. Um, and and um, for us, he didn't have to do as much of that uh, because we had some pretty good guard play. Um, and he, he, he sort of, played it played a role for us um but but it was evident he he worked on um his craft um he was in the gym prior to the draft and, and just continued to get better and improve on um what he already had he he has some of that and there were times in practices and games where he would get it and push it and start you know start the break push it in transition make the right pass um and, and, and so it's, it's there. He's, he's got a, a foundation. He's got a solid overall basketball game. I still think he's got to, he's got to get his body right. He's, I, I saw him um, at, at his draft party and I, I said, you lost weight from, from, from the time we had you to now. He said, just a little bit. So he'll, he'll fill out a little more. Yeah, I was about to say kind of what is, you know, you talk about his, his growth in just the year of Virginia. What is the next step for him? You know, because we see the shooting, we see the defensive room. Is there anything specific that is next for him in order to, to take his game to the next level here in the NBA? Yeah, I think so. I think I think it's his body getting stronger, filling out, um, being able to rebound. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that goes unnoticed a lot in, in that league, but, but it's a war they call more hand checks than they do all of the wrestling that goes on under the basket. And so you got to be able to keep in, in, in the way the NBA switches now. I mean, he'll get switched on to fives and at times he'll have to keep those big bodies off the glass and some, some stronger power forwards um, with all the switching teams do. So um, his ability to get stronger and, and rebound, rebound at a high level, I think will be um, crucial for him. Um, but I, I know for a fact he'll continue to shoot the ball. He is he's extremely confident in his ability to shoot the basketball. I know one of the team one of the things that this Pelicans team needed and addressed during the offseason is shooting, and that's something that Trey Murphy definitely provides. And we saw that in four games in the summer league. Associate head coach for the University of Virginia, Jason Williford here on the Pelicans podcast. Jason, I really appreciate the insight. One, thank you for Trey Murphy, because we're certainly glad to have him with our squad. Keep producing those types of players, and we look forward to uh, talking with you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Big thanks to Associate Head Coach Jason Williford of the University of Virginia. Knew, good to know a little bit more about Trey. I feel like we've gotten to know him pretty well, Jim, uh, since the NBA draft. And, uh, again, you know, he showed out in, in summer league, you know, him and Najee Marshall over 16 points per game. And, the, and what stuck out to me is it wasn't just his shooting. He talked about it a little bit. 
but just the way he was able to play defensively, his ability to assist and facilitate as well. Um, he, he did everything and more, and it was definitely something that we, I guess we kind of expected, but uh, it was just nice to see how well Trey Murphy played in the four games. I think one of the things that people talked about a lot in the last week plus about this year's summer league was that the first round of the draft, a lot of these guys seem like they're ready to contribute. And that there were a lot of guys that impressed in Las Vegas, but I think if you look at draft position and then you look at production and how well Trey played, I, I can't imagine there's too many guys that had a better summer league. I mean, for the 17th pick to do as well as he, as he did, I'm not sure if we're going to see, an all summer league team, the way that they've done. in I think most years, if not every year, but I would think that he has a really good chance to be on there. And the fact that they finished undefeated would tell me that they deserve to have a couple guys get honored, including Najee Marshall who played so well. But um, I think one of the things that, that coach Williford explained pretty well was that there's more there with Trey Murphy. It's not just that he's this play kind of player and that's what you're going to get. I mean, there's different, elements of his game that he's still working on. And one of the things that, that, that coach uh, emphasized too, was just his body. He mentioned that a couple of times that he's going to keep getting stronger and maybe put on a little bit more muscle as far as being able to hold his ground under the basket. But we see the skill. I mean, the way that he shoots the ball and the way that he passes and, and handles was, was really uh, encouraging. And I think everybody's looking forward to watching him play when the, when training camp and preseason starts in October. Yeah, that's the thing. We've only seen him play four games. And that is summer league, and you can take away what you want based on summer league. But um, I'm sure we'll get to see a little bit more of that during preseason and training camp. But um, Jim, I think the biggest story of it all is just the travesty of the the Pelicans going five and zero, not hoisting a summer league championship that belongs to the Sacramento Kings, who also went five and zero. And I know when we were watching the Golden State Warriors game against the Pelicans the other night, it was all about point differential, needing to win by eleven. Of course. I figured when there's only a two-minute overtime and the Pelicans went in there with Golden State, it was going to be hard to to outscore them by 11. Um, but, man, I feel kind of like uh, the UCF Knights uh, from a few years ago. I feel like this is a college football playoff where one team doesn't get in, goes undefeated, and still declares them the champs. I think Najee Marshall said it yesterday. But they feel like they're the champs. And, I mean, what an impressive showing by them in those five games under Willie Green. It really was. And, and you know, I understand why the league had to set it up the way that they did where they had the tiebreaker. Right. And I mean, you're going to have to figure out some tiebreaker because you had to know based on even our minimal math skills that if there's 30 <laughs> teams and you're playing four games before the championship, that there's probably going to be more than one or two teams that go undefeated, which was the case that there were four teams that were undefeated. But I mean, can't we have like a extra championship playoff game between the Pelicans and Sacramento. We could play it and it doesn't even have to be in Vegas. It could be like maybe at a neutral site, like maybe halfway between Las Vegas and Sacramento and like the a cornfields of Iowa. They did the field of dreams. Yeah, exactly. Into a basketball court. Even better. We could do it on the blacktop somewhere. And yeah. I think it would get some good ratings, you know, that we could call it the court of dreams. Yeah. And, and uh, so that, that would be uh, my idea. I feel like people aren't going to be satisfied with not being declared champions and have it just set, stay this way, but I guess we don't have a choice in it. I was just looking forward to seeing them in a parade down Poitras Street, you know, hoisting that trophy and celebrating. But, you know, they used to have a tournament, I guess, because maybe of COVID, you know, that would have taken a little bit longer and more games. And so um, I think great job still by the NBA to put on Summer League number one. They didn't have it last year. So the fact that you were able to get five games and more importantly, Willie Green was able to get, you know, some head coaching under his belt. You know, he's never been a head coach. 
been an associate head coach with, with Phoenix and assistant coach uh, with the Golden State Warriors. But I think it was just important for him to get his feet wet, just like the players were trying to do as well. Yeah. And as Najee said after the game last night, Willie's still undefeated. So what a, what a start to his coaching career. Um, I didn't really get into this, explore this too much. And I don't think people really honestly are that concerned about it, but I, I thought that part of the, you, you mentioned COVID. I think part of the reason too, that the league changed up the format a little bit was there's been, there definitely been some complaints in the past about when you, from the teams where you go to Vegas and you're not sure exactly how long you're going to be there because the way the tournament unfolds over a span of like four or five days, you could leave on Friday or you could stay all the way until Tuesday. So the way, the way they set it up this way was better from the standpoint of every team knew that they were either, either leaving Monday of this week or Tuesday of this week. So I guess that was a, a plus, but the downside of that was you end up with a completely disputed championship <laughs> result the way that we're, we're facing right now. We're going to be talking about this for many years to come until they <laughs> finally settle this, but you're right. I think that's, I mean, we were there for what, 12, 13 days, two years ago when they did have that format with Zion yeah. there. Pelicans mm-hmm. made all the way, I believe to the semifinals. Yep. And so you were every day figuring out whether you're going home or not once you hit that tournament. So I definitely get what the NBA was doing there. And now they have another focus, Jim, which is the NBA schedule release. It was announced yesterday, and I saw you tweet about it, 2 p.m. Central on Friday. They already announced the Christmas Day games and um, the nationally televised games in week one. Pelicans not on either list, but that's okay, Jim. You know, I'm okay with having a Christmas off, but I just feel like uh, the league's going to be missing out on, on some really good Pelicans basketball. But we'll have the full schedule on Friday, which I know for you, me, and, and Aaron Summers, a new broadcast coordinator that uh, – we're looking forward to Friday to see how our lives will shape up in the next six months. I mean, it's always a day in the summer that we are excited about because, as you mentioned, it pretty much shows how the next once we get into October, it's, it's how the, the next six months after that are going to unfold. And we know exactly where we're going to be for all those games. So but as far as the Pelicans not being on the list of games Yesterday, I feel like it's one of those things which is that's great for podcasts because we'll figure out a way to complain about. No matter what exactly. happens, we'll, we'll, if the if the Pelicans are on national TV a ton and we don't like the analysis from the national media, people that really don't watch the Pelicans that much and, and sometimes are just pulling stuff out of thin air, we'll complain about that. But if they don't get a lot of national TV appearances, we can complain about that too. So it's it's just great father, fodder either way. It's definitely something to talk about in the middle of August when now you're just waiting on, on training camp to start. But I completely agree with you. And look, the one thing I'm not going to miss is the chance of it being an 8:30 tip-off for home games, which we had a few of them because we were the second game of an ESPN or a TNT doubleheader. And there still be there still could be some come Friday afternoon, but at the same time, at least for that first week, we avoid that, which was definitely interesting for a Central Time Zone team being on so late at home. So I'm not going to miss that part of it, John. Yeah, and and honestly, it's also possible that we there could still be a ton of national TV. I'm sure there will. Even though, you know, this is just kind of a, a little glimpse at, at a small fraction of the game. So we could still see a bunch of them. So, but either way, um, I, do, I have heard people talk about, and this is total speculation, that the Pelicans are at the point now where they need to win to get, to be able to get more national TV games on, as opposed to just being kind of handed them the last couple of years, which, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of validity to that as well. It's, they, they need to, to be a playoff team, a play-in team. And um, I think that's what's going to get them on national TV if that's important to people. Um, it was cool to be on national TV the last couple of years, but 
Um, we would much rather take zero national. I guess maybe I should speak for myself here and not everyone else, but I would rather take zero national TV appearances in a playoff berth than 25 and not getting in any day. So I completely agree. Yeah. Completely it, it, agree. We don't have to be on national TV to, uh, to uh, have a successful season. So that's how I'm going to look at it. Absolutely. And someone, uh, Mike Conti, who is the, the studio host and analyst for the Hawks Rio network, he tweeted about how many different teams uh, were involved in Christmas day and the first week of nationally televised games, only nine of the 30. So it's not like they diversified their options as far as what teams to showcase. There's only nine of them that are going to be a part of Christmas day and nationally televised in opening week. So when you look at that, I mean, that's not even a third of the league. So of course, you want to showcase teams um, that are going to be a lot more popular. The Lakers with Russell Westbrook and Golden State with their healthy getting back to and swinging things. Brooklyn Nets, Milwaukee, the defending champs. I mean, you name it. Um, the Atlanta Hawks getting in Christmas for the first time since 1989. So congrats to them as a, a little budding rivalry between them and the New York Knicks. But we can break down all of that at a later time. Again, the schedule release Friday at 2 p.m. Central Time. We'll either have a podcast for you on Friday afternoon, right when the schedule is released, or we'll wait till Monday and dissect it a little bit more um, and talk about what the Pelicans can expect. Again, everyone plays each team once, at least once, at least twice. So not really too much to break down, but there will be some things to keep an eye on when it comes to long road trips and homestands so far. So a big thanks to Associate Head Coach Jason Williford of the University of Virginia for coming on, and thanks for you for making us a part of your day. For Jim Eikenhofer, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Pelicans podcast presented by CQ.